Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I am your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me, as always, well, as always, nearly, apart from the last one, uh, she's my <laughs> colleague, Sean Gray. I guess in that case it's good to be back, is it? As <laughs> opposed to just the ordinary hello. The yeah. Last Lap Podcast. If F1 has Mad Max, then this is the Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man spends four hours editing a podcast. <laughs> four hours surely not <laughs> no I, I must admit it's a, it's a little quicker than that these days <laughs> it was longer than that when i started though that's for, <laughs> believe me so yeah sean is back uh to help us well you uh and i go through all of the happenings at the belgian grand prix uh at spa francochamps um always nice um after the four-week break to come back to, uh, you, you're generally guaranteed a good one, aren't you, with uh, with Spa? Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't rate it in their top two or three racetracks on the planet. So, yeah, it's always nice to, after, you know, you've got that whole four-week break in August, when's it coming back, when's it coming back? And at least, you know, you're, you're not coming back to Bahrain or, or Abu Dhabi <laughs> or something. That'd be a little bit depressing. So, uh, yeah, I was expecting a good one, and we got it, I would say. <laughs> well, I think... There's there's very few tracks on the calendar currently where you could say when it's baking hot sun or pouring down with rain, it's a good race. Yep, Most absolutely. of them require the, the latter to make it <laughs> interesting. But amazingly, Spa managed to turn up in the blazing sunshine and uh, uh, and proved to be a bit bit interesting up and down the grid. So Still um, truly, just a truly unique racetrack. They just don't build them like... Like Spa Francorchamps, you get like you know Herman Tilkin, whoever else that designs these these modern race tracks. They just you could never replicate what what you have with Spa. It has absolutely everything. Uh, it's just it's the perfect race track. So I can't give it enough superlatives. And like you say, an interesting weekend up and down the grid. Shall we? Uh, shall we start with uh, at the top end, Lewis, and his uh, decision to take the penalty? Yes. Well, we'd we'd known that he was going to do this. Uh, I actually thought he would do it at Monza. I was a little bit surprised he did it here. You thought? But... Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought. I just thought with uh, Mercedes being, you know, the most powerful uh, engine on the grid, I thought maybe the straight lines of Monza and things would be would be where he would do it. But yeah, obviously, I mean, Spa is pretty good for that as well. So can't argue with the logic. But the only thing I'm I'm not sure about, and I'd have to look it up, but um, I'm not going to, um, is I don't know what tires they're taking to Monza. So but, yeah. I don't I don't know whether if Monza has the same set as Spa, or if they've got a different set, I wonder if maybe Mercedes thought that they fancied the medium soft, super soft. I assume it's probably not ultra soft at Monza. That seems a bit extreme, but they might have also just thought that with it being Spa, chances of safety cars and yeah. things like that are always high, so there's always a chance that it could uh, come through the grid. And and obviously that is how it ended up working out. So yeah, I mean, fair play, tip the hat to Mercedes. They took it at the right time. You'd have to say based on their final result. What do we make of the fact that it was fifty five places and uh, just getting a little bit silly by the end of things? So well, I have no doubt whatsoever that you're going to have a couple of things to say about that. So I'm I'm very looking forward <laughs> to hearing what you think about that. Well, basically, it was exactly what we said 
last year when McLaren did it as well. The, the whole yep. thing kind of makes a mockery of the concept that this rule only exists to uh, serve as a cost-cutting measure, doesn't it? That it It's not designed to be eco-friendly so that they use less engines or to, you know, um, make mean that there's less to ship in an eco-friendly way. It's all about saying big teams can't chuck lots of engines uh, into yeah. the cars because they can afford to, whereas the other teams have to eke out their engines. And that... I have absolutely no problem in, in terms of intention. And I think everybody said this, like Brundle has said this and a few other pundits have said this. The intention of the law is, is fine. Um, the way that it's been enacted isn't. And the loophole of being able to choose to take uh, engines on one weekend to um, essentially defer penalty um, makes it even more so because it means not only... It'd be one thing if it was there and people were getting 55 place grid drops, but they weren't, you know, then saying, oh, well, that's fine. I, you know, I might as well, you know, once I've taken the first 15, I might as well take more. Um, because that just then just, it, it it means that the law isn't doing what it's supposed to do, which is stop teams putting in engines. Because in the end, all they did was chuck a load of engines in anyway. Well, yeah, so. and, and as Total Wolf pointed out now, actually Lewis has one more engine than the, than Nico now. So it's yeah. not even that they're, it's evened everything up in, in terms of that. Um, you know, technically Lewis has got an advantage. I mean, he had an advantage anyway in that, um, and I know people find this concept difficult to understand, but it is an advantage even if he's had to take all of the penalties and has lost points at this race. Because yeah. because he's gotten the extra two engines for no extra penalty, so that's that's an advantage over say somebody whose um, engines fail at three races one after the other and they have to replace them. Yeah, absolutely. They get they're getting penalised for three races, whereas Lewis has only been penalised for the one. So yeah, don't disagree with that. And it was exactly uh, the same with the McLarens last year. It was do you know what I mean? I'll, I'll take one hundred and twenty five places because I need to put four new engines into the mix so that we can test them. And yeah, yeah. You're like well. Okay, yeah, you've you've taken some pain. There is a penalty that you have served. It's not it's not a pure advantage, but it you are working the system to your benefit ultimately. Um, yeah, and but, I don't have any issue with the teams doing that. It's the system. No, that's the problem. if the loophole <laughs> exists, then yeah, yeah, you, exactly. you absolutely should take advantage of it. If the if the rules allow you to do it, um, then you can't complain that teams do it. Um, you could basically turn up on day one at Albert Park. Say we're going to just start from the back of the grid at Albert Park, but take like five extra engines than everybody else for the rest of the season, and then, and then you'd have a, a whole a, a whole season's advantage on engines over everybody else on the entire grid. I mean, the I, only uh, yeah, uh, the only yes. issue with that is that you because you have to introduce the physical engines, you don't get the the benefit of the uh, any upgrades. But then I suppose so, the engines that you haven't used from your normal set could be left until the end when you need the upgrades so it's uh, you know you're absolutely right that <clears throat> it's just it's just like you say it's just silliness it, it's it? a stupid rule that the sheer stupid 55 place grid drop thing is ridiculous as well why they can't just say it's do you know what i mean if you're going to do it you might as well just say well you change an engine you go to the back of the grid there's no such thing as the number of places for the for the units um but when you take that penalty for one part of the unit, you get the whole of the rest of the unit, which is pretty much what they did most for, for most of these. They didn't just replace one part; they replaced, you know, four or five parts of it. Um, 
So what do you think is the solution then from a, an FIA sort of rule book point of view? What, how would you rewrite the rule then? I've, I've kind of tried to think about it. it. It's, you know, there's there's kind of two sides to it because it's true that somebody has suffered because if they have an engine failure and the unit is completely destroyed and can't be repaired, um, then they've had the failure in the race or quality or whatever it is. Um, and probably, you know... Uh, which is costing them then, and then they're going to get some punishment further down the line, really because the team hasn't um, created engines that can last, or they've introduced something that, that doesn't work and is has cost you know the driver for something that's out of his control. And um, I don't necessarily want to see drivers getting penalties, but I don't I don't really know what else you can do that's going to make that that punishment work. You could try taking away constructors' points. But you'd have to take away so many that you're then, you know, if you're if you're complaining that at the moment this affects the World Drivers Championship, then ultimately the other way around, it's just going to affect the Constructors Championship. And both are important. Yeah. They may not be important to certain people because some people prefer a driver over a team. But yeah. you know, to the teams, it doesn't mean nothing. So yeah, maybe it'll work if you said, okay, you lose twenty five points for. Every engine you do, you, you know, you introduce, maybe they'll stop doing it, but it's, I don't think it, they will. Um, given the that it's the driver that's ultimately going to get the advantage, it could. I mean, this could be the difference between winning world, winning a drivers' world championship and not. So I'm not against the driver being the one that that ultimately has to take the pain because it's ultimately them that's going to get get the benefit through winning a world championship. So, I mean. Uh, I don't know. The, the I kind so, of wondered... so with Lewis, did he take? Did he take multiple bits of the same part of the engine over this weekend? Yeah. So he took like several. For example, I don't know exactly what he took off the top of my head, but he he took multiple MGUH, for example, or MGUK or Both. combustion. He took he took multiple bits of each bit. Yeah. yeah? So he's right. he, some of the stuff he isn't actually over. Um over the limit on there's some yeah. stuff he's only used four of but yeah. the i think it was the three ma major bits the mguh and the mguk plus it might have been the combustion engine i'm, I'm not sure off the top but it was definitely the kind of two energy recovery systems he was he was over on uh, as opposed to alonso who's used up an even amount of absolutely everything so whenever they replace something they might as well have introduced and did essentially introduce uh, a whole new engine so, 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 do you think you could uh, introduce a rule then that said you're only allowed to replace one part per weekend? So you can replace your MGUK one week at, at a race weekend, but you can only replace that part once, and this, and you can replace your combustion as well, but you can only add one new combustion engine, and that would so, and so you could replace each little bit one time over the course of a weekend, and that would be it. Would, would that would that be a solution? Uh... And that that would stop Lewis. Obviously, or someone, or some anybody, replacing multiple MGUKs and multiple combustion engines and multiple uh, whatever else throughout the course of the weekend. I guess you'd have to say that what you'd have to do is say uh, you can only replace parts if during a weekend if they actively fail. Yeah. So you have to bin them. So you can't reuse them once you've said this is died, you know, or there is a problem with this. You you can't reuse it if you can't demonstrate that there is actually a problem with it. So yeah, that because... that would stop them replacing it. Um, the problem with that is then you go back to um, and I, and I completely understand this. You then go back to 
what we had last year was where the the penalty points drag over races um and that isn't really a better solution than leaving them the loophole um could wondered... you not do it that way without dragging the penalty points over though well no because then you essentially end up in the thing is what do you do if they do replace all of those bits and pieces you give them mm-hmm. a penalty that race whatever the penalty is however you decide it and then go well once it gets so bad there is no point in in worrying about any of it anymore yeah um, just de- dq them from the race if they go over the, I over mean, the that, limit that <laughs> then becomes the only option doesn't it is to say well if you do then you don't you're not allowed to you, race well, you, you, you are you, black flagged you, yeah you're dns you illegal not start, no? but so. Then, then you're also kind of utterly deciding the championship, aren't you? Uh, and again, it, it, you know, it, it, it's very harsh on the driver for something that maybe isn't their, you know, isn't their fault. Yeah. Um, I wondered if there was some way that you could do some kind of mileage thing that each part has to, um, yeah, that's has to process. Option. So that when you get something like this, where uh, Lewis has had lots of failures right at the start of the season, he can kind of eke it out over new parts potentially um, without taking quite so much of a penalty but when each of the you know once you've reached your uh, mileage per part limit however you you work it out you know and each new part that you uh, bring then would lower the total mileage that part can do before um, you would receive a penalty potentially unless you can go back and use an older part and, and keep it going then um, or like, a, I guess it would be a minimum mileage limit, wouldn't it? To say it's they've got to do at least this. Yeah. Across so if you put a new bit in, yeah. Then it, it has to essentially um, do more. Because what Lewis essentially did was turn up for free practice one, change a bit. Turn up for free practice two, change the bit again. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's turned up free practice one, changes MG UK. Turned up in free practice two and changed the MG UK again, even though that new one that he's just put in in free practice one hasn't done any legs in it. So yeah, what you're saying is you could do. Say you're not allowed to change that again until it's done X number of mileage or whatever, and that that might be a a solution. Yeah, I guess. And then if if you do, then the next one um, has even less mileage on it before um, you you get a penalty on it. That's the it's the only way that I can see that what what you would do is is be able to balance out the frustration of having lost a part potentially without having such a, such an <laughs> impact in one race later it's on. So, it's so. It's so messy. I'm beginning to think that 55 place grid penalty fine carry over to the next race maybe perhaps wasn't that ridiculous. Like <laughs> well, you can see why it point. happened, can't you? Because yeah, like, it's so because difficult to Lewis think of an would, alternative. Lewis would start at the back of the grid again in Monza. Yep. And I'm, at this point, I'm thinking that that might be fair given the situation that's unfolded because he's got now he's got an advantage over everybody else in the season because he has the extra engines. So I, I don't know what the solution is, to be honest, but. It's the same old story with Formula One. We don't know how to fix it, but we know it's broken. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It does. It, it clearly. My issue with the whole thing is that it doesn't do what it's intended to do, which is to actually stop teams chucking teams engines. Chucking in. It. I know. Exactly. It, I know to some extent it does because they all try to work to that five, you know, that five engine rule. But yep. it's quite clear that if for whatever reason they find out that they can't, you know, they'll just chuck engines. They will just it. chuck engines in it if you know, so long as they can afford it, which clearly mclaren and mercedes and probably most of the top teams can it makes you know and then if you know a poor team like salber just happens to have a bad string of luck or they happen to get into a couple of nasty shunts because that's just what happens and they lose the engines that way it's not even the fault of the engine in and of itself 
Um, you know, they they can't afford to take all the penalties in one race or anything like that. They have to try and buy one extra engine and see if they can make it work. Um, and then when that one doesn't work, then they have to buy another engine. So they are taking their, their penalties um, across races instead of at one, which then isn't fair in, you know, in exactly the same way that it's kind of not fair that the driver's being penalised for a, a failure that's not their fault. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a messy rule that isn't really doing what it's supposed to do um, and has this big loophole that is so obvious that apparently even Total Wolf said he wanted to close it last year and the teams couldn't agree on either how to or whether they wanted to. So I guess at the end of the day, we've got nobody to blame, but all the other teams for allowing Mercedes to get away with it, if you want. So shall we talk about the race? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds oh, good. Obviously, Lewis, uh, and the funniest thing is Lewis didn't actually start from last. No. Fernando did. <laughs> Um, it, it made t- qualifying it- <laughs> a bit of a lame duck, ultimately, didn't it? With, uh, well, with Nico. I, guess, I guess so. That the fact that it was so hot and the fact that the tyres weren't suiting the Mercedes gave us some hope that it, it might be. But um, the lap that Nico did on the soft tyres in Quali Two was just so amazing. I thought I was just kind of sat there thinking, it actually almost doesn't matter if he starts from second or third. Because if he's starting on the softs and is like essentially negating the time difference between a soft and what some, the other teams are doing on super softs, yeah, then he's still going yeah, to still still finish ahead of them. Anyway, so. It's just like there's just no way that they'll keep him behind, um, no. especially if anybody else was on super softs. So I think in the end, um, it was slightly academic that he got pole by a, a fairly fine margin although um there was a little bit of me that kind of uh when Kimmy was so close it would have been nice to see him pop up and get the pole so that he could have the record of most laps between pole positions because <laughs> oh, i'd love it if Kimmy gets another pole exactly he always goes well at spa Kimmy. He's, he think he's won there four times and mm. he even said after quality they felt he had the pace to to get pole uh and obviously it just didn't didn't quite come together but but yeah, like Nico ultimately, I think was never, never in too much danger. Uh, Max on the front row is uh, we'll call it his de facto home Grand Prix, shall we? <laughs> Something like that, isn't it? He, his birthplace home, his 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 birth Grand Prix, isn't it? As opposed to his a naturalised Grand Prix, which won't probably ever happen. Red Bulls and Ferraris, you know, sort of not an awful lot between them. Force India looking quick. And then all the way to the back, uh, obviously Fernando and Lewis right at the uh, the absolute tail end of the field. So first corner then, a little bit argy bargy. What did you make of it? Uh, silliness is probably the best I can think. It, it was one of those things where Kimmy's got nothing to be blamed for in this. Yeah, he's been absolutely sandwiched from both sides. Right? <clears throat> um Seb should know better. Um, and apparently afterwards they were saying, um, whilst we blame Max for this, you need to stop treating your teammate as if he's just another car on the thing. And apparently Seb has agreed that. that. So he's he's taken the responsibility that he, he cut in closer than he probably should have. And I think everybody yep. can understand that that's... I would, I would agree with that. I think that's a fair assessment of the um, situation. I... What about Max diving up the inside? <laughs> what did you make of that move? Um... It was a bit like what we said uh, about 
Uh, it was a bit of Valtteri Bottas when he when he got yeah, yeah or, or Lewis back, or back Nick, in the earlier season or Nico at Canada where he decided he was going to go around the outside and you're just thinking ultimately if you tuck back in there you're probably going to end up maybe fourth worst but probably you got to play the percentages don't you yeah that gap was always going to close even without Seb squeezing Kimmy because yeah. Kimmy is going to come to the inside to try and get the better. Uh, the better drive off off of the corner because Seb's gone wide, so there wasn't going to be an F one car car width anyway. No, there um, wasn't. He's had to go, admittedly, probably because of Kimi coming in quite so hard, um, all the way over the curb and essentially completely off the track. So that that's a thing as well. I just, you know, the defense. You put it down to an experience or. I think that is just oh, the way so that he more, is. He sees gaps a more and just inherent problem with Max. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk just, about Max. He just goes for them, doesn't he? That's that's his thing. And sometimes that means he does amazing moves, like his overtake at Puon was great. Genius. You don't see people overtaking at Puon very often at all. But the other side of it is that he goes for gaps that just aren't going to be there. Like when he went into the back of uh, Grosjean in Monaco, there was a tiny gap. He decided that that. That when he, you know, when he was committing to it, it was always going to be there, despite the fact that clearly Crozier was always going to resume, you know, <laughs> his, you know, his, his rightful place on the corner, and that that's what happens. So uh, he's probably inexperienced. He he might well learn from that and not try and do it all in the first corner. Um, I don't, you know, yeah. It was probably made worse by what Seb was doing, but he has a choice not to be in a place that is almost certainly going to close in on him and take his front wing or bust his suspension or, you know, whatever. Um, So I think he's got just got to take responsibility for that one and say, in in another life, I'd I'd have. Braked, tucked behind. You tuck back in, and you'll get a nice run up a rouge, and you'll probably have a chance of passing you... down into the into the uh, at the end of the straight anyway. So, like like I say, you got to play the the sensible thing. You're not going to win the race at the first corner, but you can certainly, you know, knock yourself out of it. And that's I, I want to put it down to an experience, but it, there's so much going on surrounding Max's driving style at the moment that I wonder if it's a, there's a little bit more to it than an experience, and that's just. Well, like you said, who he is almost. The the meme I was sent by, unsurprisingly, uh, a Dutch fan, um, was Ayrton Senna's quote of saying, when you stop going for the gap, you are no longer a racer. Or, or I paraphrase, but yeah. that's the basic thing. And it's just like, no, it isn't. When you, when you go for a gap that's going to ultimately close and not be there by the time you've put your car in that place, you are no longer a driver. You are now an idiot. Yeah, exactly. You know, would Alan Prost have put his car there? No. Exactly. And Senna might have, but then Senna also, do you know what I mean? Um, you know, had had his fair share of um, uh, of questionable incidents where something he went for didn't necessarily come off. And, you know, it's it's one thing to say you make a move that looks impossible stick it's another to go for a move that is impossible or is 99% impossible. You do have to just judge the likelihood of the outcome. Easy to say when we're not in a car and all those bits and pieces, but other drivers seem to manage to do it. So I don't see why Max 
can't. So you divvy up blame there, sort of three three quarters max, bit, bit well, to Seb and, and nothing to Kimi then. Is that is that how you'd see it, the incident? Both whatever happened to uh, Max and Seb is their own fault. So it's 50-50 in terms of the blame because anything that was crappy to Max is his fault and anything that was crappy to Seb yeah, is his Seb fault. Had the option. And anything that happened to Kimi was entirely not his fault. So I think that's fair. Kimi, if Seb had the option of not squeezing right. his teammate. Well, exactly. So it was frustrating for me as a Nico Rosberg supporter who would like to see him win the World Championship because what it did was it basically took three people who would probably have the pace to finish ahead of Lewis from there out of the race and put them, put them behind Lewis, which was frustrating that Lewis had taken his 55-place grid penalty that we spent so long discussing only to have the three of the four or five main rivals Fastest ahead of cars him that would have caused imme- immediately behind him <laughs> literally at the first corner so that was a bit frustrating uh, for me uh, as a fan of Rosberg uh, but it is what it is it, it kind of just sort of all fell into place a little bit for, for Lewis from that sense he had the he had the three Red Bulls, uh, sorry, the three Red Bulls. <laughs> not, three, not, not, <laughs> not, three not yet, mate, not yet. Not, not three car team yet. The three cars in the first corner incident, the Red Bull and the two Ferraris uh, behind him. And then he had the, once we, the Magnussen shunt, the way it jumbled out with the safety car and the red flag and, and, and whatever else and the pit stops and who stopped and who didn't, he basically found himself in fifth. Uh with and, and Alonso as well, to be fair, was right there with him. Uh, they 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 just they, they they got it absolutely right when it came to the strategy call and not not stopping under the safety car uh, and allowed them to change the tires under the red flag, uh, and basically they found themselves on a in fourth and fifth uh, on an absolute even footing with everybody else. So that the 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 penalty that we spent so long discussing. Yeah. Was basically wiped out by a pure, pure, uh, pure chance incident, which was obviously Magnussen putting it into the wall. So uh, it was, yeah, a little bit frustrating from that point of view for me. But it, it was certainly a fun, a fun race to watch uh, in the first sort of twenty laps or so. That it, it was chaos. It was there was bits flying about everywhere. We're not even talk about Carlos Sainz's wheel exploding. Just that first ten lap, oh, 10, yeah, yeah. 10, 15 laps, just complete, complete and absolute chaos. Which is what you're going to get from Spa, which is why we all love it. But um, yeah, it was it was a little bit difficult to to keep up with. We had um, we had uh, we had to have a safety car for for the we had VS... science incident. Uh, I think was it, or did we have VSC for that? I think we possibly just VSC, and then we had Magnuson shunt, which was a safety car, followed by the red flag. So yep. we went we went three stages of. Of severity there. It started off with the VSC for science, and then Magnuson stuck it in the wall, which was a safety car, and then it was the red flag. So it's just an absolute chaos for sort of ten laps or so. I have uh, to say that um, Sainz's tire exploding and then wrapping itself around the rear wing and essentially pulling the back of the car to pieces. That's the first time I've ever seen that happen. Yeah, it was mental. I've, I've seen the tire rip up the bodywork a bit, but I've. It's something Brundle kind of always says, but you go, well, yeah, but it never happens. And then, like, it probably happened where the, the carcass of the tyre just got caught up in absolutely everything. I, I guess because it probably delaminated in such a way that it made it kind of stringy compared to just kind of exploding off of the rim. Um, 
and the fact that he kept on trying to go for quite so long. Um, but it was a it was a, a very spectacular blowout. Um, I don't think we ever saw exactly how that happened, did we? There was that much going on that I, I don't know if we. It was, might have been that we never ever went back and saw it, just because everyone was just like, "Well, I have no idea when that happened. I can't, I can't find this under all the stuff that's going." I assume it was a puncture based on bits of other cars flying off somewhere. Potentially, but... I mean, and amongst all the chaos, you had Pascal Verlaine uh, shunting poor Jensen off the road after his cracking qualifying. Oh. Little nod, little nod to Jensen there, cracking effort to get the McLaren in the top ten. It and, was. Uh, and, and, quality. I, and I have to say, you know, you talk about highs and lows in a Grand Prix. By that point, I was just like, yeah, that's pretty typical for uh, McLaren <laughs> season, isn't it? Is that we managed to get the car credibly in into Q3 at Spa of all places. Um, and then we <laughs> we lose that driver whilst the other one is stuck at the back with engine penalties. Um, and I thought, well, this is my race over and done with. I'll just wait and see how far Lewis gets up the grid. And then lo and behold... Miracles do them. happen. <laughs> so yeah, we got we got science causing car, carnage, but the, the debris that came off of that car was was unbelievable because, like you say, the tire wrapped around the rear wing. You had uh, Magnussen, uh, sorry, not Magnussen, Verline nodging button out of the race. You had Kimi, Seb, and Max all having to pit for their own uh, change of front wings and whatever else due to that first car instant. With Kimi's, then, Kimi's plank on fire. Did you oh, say of that? course, yeah. That was exactly. amazing. I've never that seen the underside extra... of a Formula One car catch fire like that. You had to drag the thing around Spa, which is the longest <laughs> lap in the world. Uh, just a typical Kimmy just dragging it home, you know, love him a bit. Gets this flaming car in the pit, so that's going on. And then finally it starts to sort of calm down a little bit, and then Kevin Magnussen goes and has the biggest shunt I've seen in a long time. Jeez. So it's just... Uh, what, uh, what I don't... Do you remember the last time you saw an F1 car go off at Radion? Jack Villeneuve in like 99 or something off the top of my head. I don't know if there's been one since then. That was, but that one? was at the top of Eau Rouge, wasn't it? I can't remember exactly. I think that it was, was coming in... off of Eau Rouge. That, the only the only accidents I've ever seen there that I can remember are uh, closed cockpit ones. So, um, you know, uh, uh, I was going to say champ car. That's not what I mean at all. What's the... The German DTM, DTM, <laughs> champ car, DTM, same thing, <laughs> DTM and, and things like that and endurance racing, stuff like that, where they've gone off and it looks horrific then. Um, but those cars aren't going as fast and are fully protected. Watching Magnussen go backwards at 180 odd miles into a, a barrier to then be flipped around face first at probably still 140, 150 miles an hour into the, the barrier. I was just like, he's going to be really seriously hurt. And when he got out and just kind of limped away, I was just like, that's amazing. That's actually incredible that a it's human a being... To the, yeah, it's a testament to the safety of Formula One, isn't it? Like, Although, did well, you see his headrest? Fly yeah, by the... flew, out, flew <laughs> out the car. Flew out the car. It was. I mean, did you see the side of that Renault? Oh. Was, oh, my God. It was like it'd been hit by a train, you know. It was unbelievable, and like you say, to get out and just <laughs> what a sprained ankle. Ultimately, uh, he's going to be fit for Monza, I yeah. guess. So, it just, uh, uh, yeah. What what can you say? Like, 
well done, yes. <laughs> I guess, yes. to anybody involved in designing the safety of a Formula One car. That's one for you this weekend. Well done, guys. We'll have a little, uh, we'll have a drink for you guys. That was unbelievable. That's two crashes, really, isn't it, this season? Alonso's crash in Melbourne, which was ungodly as well. It wasn't the speed, wasn't necessarily for that one, but the, what the car did afterwards. Um, but the oh speed yeah, I mean that was. was... Yeah, I don't know which of those two is worse, really. Alonso seems worse because he was upside down and rolling into a gravel pit, and that always looks horrendous. But I think I might have taken that over losing it out, I think out Alonso's, of a rouge into Radian. Alonso's probably would have been under braking, I think. So he would have been probably slowing down, whereas uh, uh, Kev, <laughs> Kev would have been a bit more... He's taken his foot off as the car twitches, but that's it. Yeah, There's no other yeah, real it's, speed it's, loss. It's virtually full throttle, you know, coming up through the hill there. So... Yeah, uh, uh, just both of them. We'll, we'll, like, pray, pray I don't ever end up in that situation of either of them. But yeah, possibly Alonso's over. I don't know, upside down. Uh, I don't it's, know. They're both damn scary. That's, that's exactly. And both of them walked away, didn't they? Yes. So, and neither of them. Did Alonso miss? Uh, Alonso miss missed a race. Just, yeah. Uh, and but he said he was okay. But there was this. I think it was the size of the accident, wasn't it? That they. Yeah, it was they like were a more, was thing, more wasn't of a it, precaution, so. wasn't it? That you know. But, but yeah, ultimately they both were able to crack on with yeah. their lives. So yeah, I mean, what can you say? Testament to to Formula One. That's probably the best news that Renault had <laughs> all race, really, wasn't it? Was <laughs> that Max was okay. That that, that um, Magnussen <laughs> was fine, and that their car could withstand that kind of punishment. Well, some of the some of the radio messages were just like he's fine he's fine like the, the engineers were a bit casual like yeah. oh there's been a 200 mile an hour shunt and a couple of the drivers were like how's how's the how's kev how's the driver he's fine he's fine <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah you did just kind casual. of expect it didn't you i guess no, these no days. problem no problem yeah um so yeah, yeah so back to the race really we, we if we go back and then say the red flag period pretty much nullifies everything, everybody pretty much jumped on <laughs> mediums at that point didn't they i think or was it softs I think it was a bit. I think it was a bit of a mixture, either way. I think the Mercedes definitely seemed to favour the medium. I know uh, Lewis did, didn't he? I'm sure he was on. He was on. Um, he was on mediums to start the race because he was at the back. Oh of, yeah, so maybe he changed. So he to jumped soft, onto. Didn't he, he jumped onto the. He jumped onto the yellows. He jumped onto the softs. Yeah, it was frustrating because as the safety cars coming out and the repairing the barrier. And there's three or four laps under the safety car, and it's kind of, you know, Brundle's speaking about it, and it's kind of like we're all sort of getting the feeling that it's probably a red flag situation. They're going to need to fix that barrier. It's absolutely destroyed. Uh, and I was sitting there thinking, don't red flag it, don't red flag it, because I knew everybody would get to change tires, and it would essentially... I, I, that kind of ruins the race for me when the red flag it, and everybody just get it, it, Because it, it takes away the strategy element. It's basically like starting the race from scratch with everybody on a fresh set of boots and that's anything anything strategically that happened before that is essentially null and void yeah and that's just a bit rubbish but i think i'm not i'm not 100 sure but are they changing that rule next year yes. where where you cannot change the tires under the red flag situation is that right yeah so i believe that's that that is, is that, the case next year. to me is a better solution because you know you 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 you, you go all out on a strategy on lap 10 and then there's a red flag on lap 12 and it completely destroys your race because you've done something strategically on lap 10 and that just seems a little bit rubbish to me um so yeah i, I didn't like that 
fair play to the guys that affected uh, positively. Alonso and Lewis being the main two. Uh, worked out beautifully for them. Uh, worked out okay for Nico and Danny Rick as well. Hulkenberg as well, didn't he? He didn't stop. Yeah, Hulkenberg as well, yeah. What, and that was the luck of the draw, you know. Because you understand when a safety car comes out, the instinct is to pit. And many people did. And, you know, so the people that took the gamble and didn't didn't pit, fair, fair play, it worked out for them. And that is Formula One, you know. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's always been the way, you know. If the safety car comes out, can do you pit? You know, that's that's the nature of the game. But just the, the changing of the tyres under the red flag irks me a little bit. So I'm, I'm glad to see that, that getting changed. So like you say, we start off again and we've got um, Nico out top, Danny Rick, Hulkenberg's in there. And then Fernando and Lewis on the on the fresh set of boots who are suddenly gone from being at the back of the grid to having a hold on here guys, this could be a very productive weekend. I was convinced that Lewis would come second from there, from the restart. I was sure that he would have enough pace to, to catch him past Daniel Ricardo. But obviously it didn't work out that way. But um I was sure that I thought it was a it was a good thing for Lewis to be able to, to get second. Yeah, it was um uh, it's funny, isn't it, with red flags? You never quite know whether they neutralise the race sometimes, or sometimes they can just completely change things up. <clears throat> when you think everything's going in in one way, people are afraid to stop for whatever reason. But yeah, it, it rather, um, it, it, you know, if if Max hadn't have had the accident anyway, it would have been interesting to see whether he'd have gotten that far on the super softs and gotten his free tire change, because you know then he'd have had the the benefit of the soft tire, been in second and. You know, been that that much farther up the up the road. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. It, it it kind of settled down after that, didn't it? Really, we yeah. had um, uh, from there from there it was much more like uh, your average sort of strategy. Just went as expected. Come in, do the stops. Everybody sort of finished where you would expect them to finish from there. Yeah, Lewis got a little bit. Uh, his his Stuck. unluck there was that he started on the mediums and then mm-hmm. didn't do medium medium soft for his stops. Um, he went back onto the softs and he went he went to well, the softs. I think because they thought that was gonna hit, let him get past people better uh, yep. rather than being on the mediums. But I think Which in would the make end, sense you would think in theory. Yeah. Um, but in the end, just that time spent behind. The medium just seemed to be working quite well as for the Mercedes, do you not think, with Nico out front as well? So It seemed to work well for most of the teams, really. It seemed that um, the guys were pushing quite hard on the you know, on the mediums when they were on them, um, and the softs just gave up their life too soon, as evidenced by um, Ricardo behind Nico. Do you know what I mean? Came out all guns blazing, got right yeah. up close to him, uh, and then Nico was just able to lean on the tyre more consistently for longer. Um, uh, and that's where it gets. Uh, and I wonder if that's part of partly what happened to Hamilton. He had to lean on the tires hard to get uh, to get, to past get ahead us. and then catch up. And by that time, his advantage well, was gone. Ultimately, ended up having to stop again, didn't he? Nico and Danny Rick they just twoed, I think, whereas Lewis Lewis did three stops, I believe. Uh, oh, it might have been. Co- yeah. So because he obviously had to use his tires to make the moves and get past the. Uh, your Alonso's and your Nico Hulkenberg's. He's he's had to three stop ultimately, and uh, that's because he comes back out and he's about twenty seconds behind Danny Rick. So you've got um, you've got Nico up front. He's controlling the pace in the final sort of 
10, 15 laps. He's controlling the pace. Danny Rick's in second. He's never going to catch Rosberg, but he's just uh, just getting the car home for second. Lewis did do the three stop while they did the two, and he came out about maybe 20 seconds behind uh, behind Ricardo. And the commentators were saying, oh, can Lewis catch Danny Rick? Can Lewis can- catch Danny Rick? And it just, to me, it was never on. It just wasn't enough lap time left. He had about seven or eight laps to make up. 15 16 seconds he's not going to catch him at two seconds a lap even with uh fresh boots so uh, i think he got looking at the time series he finished 13 seconds behind uh behind ricardo in the end so uh, yeah that, that that that's ultimately what what i think cost lewis the second place was was having to do that extra stop which he had to do because he had to to pass people on the track and and, and use the soft tires to do so so yeah it, uh, but I mean, it would be pretty hard pressed to to say to, to say Lewis is unfortunate not to come second here, aren't we? I think he's very happy with the third place, given that where he started. So yeah, yeah, it would have been that was the bit that we were kind of when we got the, that slow part of the race. Ironically, that was the bit where we probably would have seen Hamilton versus the Ferrari. Um, exactly. The if, 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 if the two Ferraris and Verstappen hadn't cut their own throats on the first corner. Lewis would have been behind or at least fighting with them. And we would have had Hamilton, Verstappen, Raikkonen, Vettel in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, all dueling. And that would have been great. That would probably would have been a really brilliant sort of uh, last sort of 10 laps of spat. Could have been properly good stuff. Unfortunately, they did their own thing and, and, and ruined their own race for themselves. And it ended up being Lewis versus the Force Indias. Uh, he was never really got into Ricardo, so all he had to do to secure the podium was beat Hulkenberg and Perez. And with, I love the Force Indias, but really, it was a bit of a cruise for him to just come up behind them and and ultimately pass them down the straight. So it wasn't really a real challenge for him to finish third. So we were. This like goes back to what I was saying at the start. We were just kind of. I just felt a little bit frustrating. We were denied what could have been a really special second half of the race because of the incident in the first corner. And, and and as soon as that incident happened in the first corner, I just knew I was like, oh, that's that's gonna that's gonna affect the whole race now. That's that's gonna ruin it later on. That's a real shame. It was an opportunity missed for some good stuff between Lewis and the Ferraris and, and Max. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you were you were right. He did um he he did uh three stop, two softs and then a medium. So yeah, that's where he yeah. lost the <clears throat> only lost the time. I I wonder if looking back Mercedes might have done that a bit differently, but uh, I get, I agree, but at the same time, if you'd given them third at the start of the race, they oh could well, yeah, bite your hand off for it. So we can't, they can't be too upset. I don't think you know. I think they'll take that one. That's definitely one in the positive for the Mercedes column. I think, yeah, I think they've got they've got away with one there. And well, a good drive from Danny Rick for second. You know, Very. never really looked like beating Rosberg, but never at the same time looked like anybody uh, anybody was going to remotely threaten him. Helped in fact by the fact that all of his competition was wiped out of the first corner again. <laughs> so, nah, like I say, we just missed that. Just that first corner just cost us what could have been a proper classic here. I think bit frustrating but never mind so fourth and fifth yeah fourth and fifth for force india fourth and fifth for fourth india is a bit of a tongue twister um very good performance again from the force indias the the bipolar formula one team that you never quite know what you're going to get but they do well at spa don't they well i i said on twitter they they need to move their base of operations to (laughs) because it needs to be their home race because (laughs) They turn up every every year. They seem to turn up with a car that goes really, really well here. 
Uh, and then doesn't at Monza generally. That's the funniest thing. Is it then go on? Which is, which is surprising because it's, there's no reason why that shouldn't. Really. Well, I, I think I think Parabolica and the the big curves around Monza mm. are what um, are what do for Force India ever so slightly there. But um, yeah, the interesting thing for me here is you had both of them drove excellently, Hulkenberg and Perez. Because how often do we see Force India where one of them's fourth and one of them's fifteenth or something like that? It is so the usual order of things. Both of them managed to just consistently solid race. Helped by some shenanigans around them, but yeah, great result for Force India. Double points finish. The only thing I would say is Nico Hulkenberg's finished fourth a boatload of times now. He's never had a podium, Nico Hulkenberg. Can you believe that? Oh, Nico no. He's never finished on the podium. So uh, fourth is his best Formula One result. So once again, he's, he's, he's finished fourth. He really needs to get that monkey off his back, I think, because Sergio's had quite a few podiums in that Force India. So that, that's the... I think that's the next big step for Nico. He needs to get that podium under his belt. Well, it's an unwanted record, really, isn't it? The uh, number of starts to uh, number of podiums. Um, so, uh, yeah, as you said, it was it was good racing from both of them. You know, it looked like Perez might have be having the better weekend, but obviously Hulkenberg's benefited from being able to not have to uh, not pitting for, for tires, and then got himself a boatload of places. Um, other thing, but you got to drive it from there, and he had to do a, a couple of little passes to to get where he was going. So, um, you know, no um, no disrespect to to the Hulk. He's he's done well uh, from from you know where he was on the uh, on the grid. It's also I'm just having a quick look at Nico's stats here. It's Hulkenberg's seventh points position out of eight. That's pretty good. That's consistency for uh, for. Um, a team like Force India, who we sometimes say, where are they going? Where's the investment coming from? He's finishing the points out of seven of the last eight races. So, that's yeah, pretty good stuff. I have, a, I have a slight feeling that he is going to become this generation's um, Nick Heidfeld. Of, yep. Uh, uh, great uh, driver. Never quite got the car. Never quite got the, um, you know. The big push. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, so, sixth place. Th- oh, blimey. I can't talk this evening, Sean. I've got a lift <laughs> from somewhere. Sixth, sixth place, Sebastian <laughs> Vettel for Ferrari. Um, made to work from it pretty much from his own devices. Uh, yep. and, and seemingly fairly lucky that he did more damage to his teammate than he did to himself. Um, and to, to, uh, to Max, because... Or me, that's what allowed him to be ahead of both of those guys uh, on track. Um, still, I, still, I think he showed, you know, he showed some good driving to get back from there. There was nothing, there was nothing certain from where he was because even though he came out ahead of most of the other guys, he um, uh, he still had to 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 get that Ferrari to uh, to that those sort of middle points positions. So it wasn't overall, it wasn't a bad race, but it just starts with that really clumsy um, attack on his own teammate that was so unnecessary. Completely, and you know, it's frustrating because he's finished sixth there, you know, having had to come from the back basically, so we're, you know, he clearly had a bit of pace in that car this weekend, there's there's no reason why he shouldn't have been able to finish on the podium if he hadn't made a hash of it at the start. He certainly would have been dicing with Daniel Ricciardo, he would have been dicing it with Lewis when Lewis got through the field, uh, you know, and in the end he's finished behind the Force Indias. Uh, so it's just a 
we never seem to be getting a clean weekend for Ferrari at the moment. There always seems to be something. Uh, and this is just another one of those. You know, it's I think it's one of Vettel's longest runs in his career without a podium. It's like five or six races or something. So it's just not quite coming together. And, you know, he's getting a bit aggy in the helmet, isn't he? He's getting a bit, you know, moany on the radio and things. So he needs a, he needs a you know, home Grand Prix coming up, Monza. He needs a strong weekend. He needs a strong weekend. Uh Seventh place, Miracle Man, uh, Fernando Alonso. <laughs> wow, uh, what a race. Um, it it was both a race that continues to highlight some of the woes of McLaren, which is just that outright grunt BHP. Um, still something, I think, in the order of about 40 BHP down on uh, most of the other teams in, in terms of raw output. But saying that, Qualified at ninth uh, with Jensen, uh, and during the race, not quite as easily breezed past, past as they have been in other races, um, was able to keep Lewis behind in the slower sections. I mean, obviously, then um, you know Lewis got past easily, easily enough once he had uh, DRS coming up the, uh, you know, coming up of Oruz uh, into to ready on for the, the normal passing place. Um, and I, I think the most telling thing was the ability to keep uh, both Williams behind him. Um, yeah, without the end of the race, yeah, totally. But without having to do desperate defensive driving, he was just able to be faster where it counted. Um, so uh, you could watch it. It was brilliant to watch. Watch the timings when it was Massa and when it was Bottas. Um and what would happen is through the, the straights, the Williams would catch right up. And then as soon as you got into the, the middle sector, Alonso would pull out three or four tenths and it would be a, a sizable chunk. And that would give him just enough to be able to be far enough ahead heading into the straights so that the Williams didn't get DRS. Um, and I think vaguely from, um, from memory, um, the only time that they did was, I think, on the last lap for Bottas, managed to get it just under nine tenths, and even then, still wasn't able to pass. Yeah, say what you like about the Williams, but you'd have expected uh, you'd expected them to get past there. So, uh, yeah, for Fernando Alonso, he's still got a world championship in him if you give him the car. Uh, so he's got to take great credit. But yeah, McLaren definitely improving. No doubt about it. And that's a good thing. You know, it can only be a good thing. Competitive McLaren will be good for Formula One for sure. So well done, Fernando. Crack and drive. Bit fortunate with the red flag and stuff like Lewis, but had to had to, had to keep it there once he'd gotten into that position and any any more or less did so. So taking nothing away from him. Yeah, probably yeah, one of the better drives of the season for sure. Uh eighth and ninth place uh with a uh sorry. With the two Finns, uh, I was looking at the, th- at the flags and then was going, oh, uh, same team. No, it's not the same team. That's the same country. Um, Bottas in eighth uh, and then Raikkonen in ninth. Um, I-, I guess that's a, m- a pretty mountful drive from Raikkonen there to go from uh, dead last lapped uh, up to ninth. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like Vettel, they've come through the field from the carnage at the start, and it's another one that's kind of like, oh, well, what could have been if they hadn't made a hash of it at the start? So a bit frustrating, but you know, ultimately, after the first corner, I wasn't expecting much. So to get a double points finish for Ferrari is probably about as good as they could have hoped for from from the incident. So, and Reckoning, you know, he looked. I, don't know, I thought he looked a little bit. You know, he looked on it this weekend. Uh, so it's a shame that that ninth is all he ended up getting with from a man who thought he had the pace to get pole position, which is a real, a real shame that he's only ended up in ninth. But from where where they ended up after that first lap, dragging the flaming car around to get points, I think we'll take that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's kind of go back and do eighth and tenth then, which is the Williams. Yeah, uh, I mean. I Again, we say it every single time, don't we? But what, 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 what are they doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, we Spa's the kind of track that we keep. We'd assume suits the Williams with the Merck engine in the back. It's one that definitely relies much more heavily on raw grunt. Um, but they weren't able to get past a McLaren, which, as we say, is is down on BHP to every other team on the grid with the probable exception of uh, Toro Rosso using last year's engines. Uh, I think, I think there's an element of the strategy coming into it with the fact that they seem to be running out of tires quite a lot. The whole final five or six laps. I think they try to wring a set of tires out probably a little bit too long than they should have. Bottas, and then, um, Bottas stopped exactly the same time as Alonso. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Twenty-one. Uh, they did twenty-one laps in the mediums, and Massa only did one more lap than either. Is that is that right? Okay. Well, then, fair enough. <laughs> they they should be passing that McLaren. Then simple as that. You would think. Uh, I I didn't think that. I thought Lonzo had uh, did less time, but I don't have the stats there, uh, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You would have had them on equal tires. Then you'd have had them as a as a good thing to be ahead of Alonso. Uh, yeah, um, so we're, we're we're back to um, the age-old question of what is it about the Williams that that isn't allowing them to maximise the potential of what should be, you know, a fairly fairly good package, really, all, all over. Um, I don't think they were over. They were. I mean, I'm assuming that they both stopped under the um, before the. Uh, red flag um let's have a look well massa did two laps on the super softs before stopping uh, and bottas did seven laps on his super softs so they obviously just can't get this can't get the tires to last then what's felipe massa doing two two laps on a on a set of tires for that's madness. <laughs> Unless there was a, was there a? Did he have any other kind of issue? A broken front I, wing or anything like that? I don't because think so. Uh... It doesn't seem to be any reason why you would do. You would do that. You <laughs> know, like I can't think of uh, any reason why you would do two laps on a set of tires. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. The Williams team. Massa did a, a, a 20 lap stint on the softs. 
How does that work out? How does he two on the? Well, I suppose I suppose that does work out, doesn't it? Two on the super soft, twenty on the softs, and then twenty-two on the medium. So it, it does work out in the end. Um, oh yeah, I'm looking at the wrong figures. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I keep on flicking up and going. Uh, super soft two, super soft four. Oh no, that's what Kimmy did. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's interesting. That makes know. more sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still two laps on the. Well, it it was kind of clear that the super softs weren't going to do anything. I think. Um, the only teams that looked to have started on them um, were Force India, who seemed to be working them better than anybody else anyway. Uh, Bottas, Felipe, and obviously Max started on them as well. Um, so I guess that's probably a consequence of finishing in the top 10. Um, I mean, Kimi Raikkonen's pitted at one point for his second stint and done... And only got four laps out of them, and that's coming in mid race and sticking them on and hoping for a bit of a mid race burst, obviously, and to pass some cars or whatever, stick the super softs on, just go out there and 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 throw some hot laps together. And he's only managed four laps, and that's about them. Like so, like you say, they're just they weren't the tire to be on at all, were they? So. Uh, I, anyway, I was under the impression that that you know the Williamses had done a bit longer than Fernando, and that was part of the reason why they couldn't get past them. But clearly not. So, if anything, I have to give Fernando a little bit more credit for keeping them behind them. But at the same time, give Fernando credit with one hand, and then at the same time take it away and say, "What's wrong with the Williams team?" Yeah, give uh, Give Williams a, a, a slip, yeah. clap around the back of the head. Um, Don't know the answer as to why they're so. So poor. I, I don't know. We say it every week. I don't. I, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> Somebody yeah. else who the F1 fraternity believes should have a clip around the back of the year um, finished eleventh. Max Verstappen um, finished finished probably what eight or nine places below where he should have through various incidents. Shame for him. All of his Dutch fans slash Belgian fans at the track this weekend, probably the best support of any driver there. What did you make of? We discussed the first corner incident and we uh, give him a, a fair portion of the blame for that. What about the the defensive driving up the straights and things, Land? Because that's a whole other can of worms. What uh, did you make of that? Well, you know, the risk of irating more, um, more Dutch fans. Uh, I thought it was incredibly dangerous. Um, he seems to be being allowed to get away with it. And I don't know whether that's deliberate because it's Max, deliberate because the FIA don't want to be seen to be punishing uh, driving, uh, although then that makes you wonder why they bothered to punish Nico Rosberg in Germany. Um, yeah. But he is chopping in front of cars at 200 odd miles an hour uh, in the fastest part of the circuit um and whether or not the rules explicitly state that you can't do that that they say oh you've got one move so it's up to him how late he decides to move well then that just tells me that the rules are stupid because <laughs> all he's doing is cutting somebody up if somebody did that to you on the motorway, if you were if you were bombing down um, the outside lane of the motorway at, at 80 miles an hour and somebody jinked in front of you 
No, oh, you'd be at in the 70, hedge, wouldn't you? At 70 <laughs> miles an hour or 75, even 75 miles an hour. Just the speed difference and the requirement of your reactions to slow before you hit them because you've got nowhere else to go um, it is ridiculous. It's just dangerous. It's asking for uh, the, exactly the same kind of accident that happened to Alonso, that happened to Weber, where the back of a car is going over the wheels of another car um, but the, the problem with this one is it's at the fastest part of one of the fastest circuits on the calendar. You can't do that. And if if all we if all we can say to defend that is technically it's not against the rules, then that's no defence at all as far as I'm concerned. Um, and before anybody else jumps on us for saying this, we've spent the last three races praising Max Verstappen to yeah. the hilt. We spent sure. ages saying he really seems to have, you know, upped his game. He's playing a good team game. Um, you know, his moves seem to be better. We were we were a little unsure about how he moves into the breaking zone, but you know, he was doing it far enough ahead that it wasn't like an immediate jink. But he did it twice to Raikkonen uh, and once to Vettel this race, where he just waited until they were right under his uh, back wing, had made a move, and then ducked in front of them. So that the only thing that they could do was jam on the brakes and f1 is full of little rules that all drivers know and understand that aren't part of the rules all the things that happen in corners happen because drivers understand generally who's got what corner uh and you don't see any of the other drivers doing it because they just understand the unwritten rule which is you don't cut people up in a racing car because it's bloody dangerous but Max doesn't because he's been fast forwarded through to Formula One at 17 years old. He's not had the experience. He's not had veteran drivers in his ear for long enough. He's only had his dad who probably just belts him around the back of the head for not going fast enough um, to to teach him the manners of being a Formula One driver, that it isn't just about how fast you can go and making spectacular overtaking moves, which he does. And which is great, and that's great for the sport. But it isn't great for the sport if a 18-year-old driver cuts across the front of a world champion's car that sends them careering into a barrier at 200 miles an hour and either hurts them really badly, kills them, kills a marshal, whatever. Do you know what I mean? A bit's flying off into the crowd. Whatever happens, do you know what I mean? And that would be on the head of the person who has chopped in front of the other car. It can't be on the person who has been um, blocked by the car in front, you know. Absolutely. It's it's amazing that Kimi didn't hit Max. Yeah, the onboard footage from on Raikkonen in in real time was 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 telling for me. That was the that was the one that really made me sit up and go, oh, okay, that's yeah, that's not good. <laughs> you know, he shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you've seen him come up through a rouge, get under the rear wing, and just uh, as, as you're following on board. You you could see how close, like how any like a less experienced driver than Kimi Räikkönen with two hundred Grand Prix on his belt might might have slammed straight into the back of Max there. Uh, just uh, yeah, it, it wasn't. You, I could, you you've summed it up enough. I don't really need to add much, but yeah, it's not it's not great, is it? F one driving is um, it should be like high speed chess. Brundle says that all the time, doesn't he? He says it's like a game of high-speed chess where you're defending and attacking, but they are moves that everybody understands. 
Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't yeah. be about. It's not a boxing match. It's not about you know fainting and weaving and ducking and diving and and all of those things to try and land a blow um, and catching somebody out. Um, because all that does is is eventually lead to somebody getting hurt. It, you know, when in F one you defend a line. Uh, and you attack on a line and you commit to those things everybody understands what's that what that's going and then it's down to the drivers to make it work and then if they respect one another then they don't touch even when the moves are marginal but what max is doing is not that it is not about respecting other drivers not because they're Kimi Raikkonen and they're a world champion or they're Sebastian Vettel who's got four champions it's about anybody do you know what I mean? If people are annoyed enough that Gutierrez doesn't get out of the way under blue flags, and that's a lack of respect. Nearly chopping into the front of somebody else's car and then claiming that's just aggressively defending and should be uh, and is fine uh, is blatant disrespect. It's disrespect for the amount of danger that they pose to other drivers on the basis that they don't want to get past. So would you have? Would you have? What would you do about Max here? Would you slap on the wrist and give him a warning? Or I'd, you think ch- he needs I'd change something... the rules. I'd change the rules to say that deliberate blocking is not allowed. That you you um, you cannot um, change your direction as a result of the move that somebody else is doing. And they've got that rule in other motorsports and it works absolutely fine. And it, all it's doing is reinforcing something that all the drivers should know anyway. Yeah, uh, IndyCar's got it. You you are not you are you can defend, but you can't block. You can't dodge. You can't cut somebody up to try and defend your position because it's dangerous. You have to uh, look where the other car is coming from and anticipate what they're going to do, and you defend that position. And if the other car has enough speed to then change their mind and go around the other side and change their move then Tough. you that's it and you just have to defend the line that you've taken and if that means that you can outbreak them at the end of it do you know what i mean and get and still get into the corner first then that's fine because everybody does that do you know what i mean everybody does like that and the stupid thing is max has done that when we were talking about him defending against kimmy before uh, it was about positioning the car he wasn't weaving in front of him he was getting into the best line being able to break later or uh, or and then come off of the corner better and that was how he was defending so it's not like max can't do it it just seems to be that now he is doing it more because every time he does it um nobody tells him he can't so how yep. is he how is he going to learn if nobody says no you're not allowed to do this it's dangerous stop doing it why does he why is he going to stop doing it there's no reason you know it's like asking the drivers to obey a non-mandatory speed limit, isn't it? Oh, we feel it's a, you know what I mean? It's dangerous doing this. Can you please not do it? It's like blooming yellow yellow flags, isn't it? They were all told to do something and they don't. Or they do something that's close to or an approximation to that within the letter of the law, it, it isn't breaking the rules, but it isn't doing what it's designed to do. And that, that to me is dangerous driving from Max and should be punished as such so that he understands about what is and isn't acceptable. Yep, I agree. And I would expect that of anybody. If Gutierrez does that, if Palmer does that, if Ocon does that, any of the new that's drivers a, do that, then... That's an interesting sort of bag of worms there. Do you think if they did do that, they would be punished? Because I've seen a few comments saying that it's because it's Max, he's not kind of thing. Like Jack Vilner's come out and said... 
the FIA are protecting him because he's the he's box office, you know, isn't he? Yeah, he's their future cash cow. And do you think that there is an element of truth in that, or do you think that's just Jack Villeneuve being Jack Villeneuve? I mean. <laughs> It is Jack Villeneuve being Jack Villeneuve. Let's, let's not he has got a reputation for being a little bit Jack Villeneuve about things. Yeah, so. it is in its own, its own it's self. A... Saying something slightly outrageous about, about somebody in current Formula 1 is, is doing a Jack Villeneuve. But I, I worry that there is a little bit of that. Not in the stewards, per se. Not necessarily the stewards but I worry that the FIA don't feel that they need to react to this and make a statement to say, we've reviewed this footage and actually we think, you know, this isn't, therefore we're going to do something about it. It's not what I would expect. The amount of kind of directed negativity about it, aside from the people who want to defend Max, you know, whatever. And, um, I fully accept that if the stewards don't pull him up of it and the FIA don't do a law against it, then he's not breaking any rules. Uh, and if, again, like I say, if if that's your defence, you can go with it, but that's not good enough for me. That it's not against the law isn't, uh, you know, uh, isn't a good enough defence against dangerous driving. Um but yeah, the, the the lack of action from the FIA on it, I feel is slightly telling about how much they want to be seen to be negative towards Max. I don't really know why, because as long as he stays in the sport, then the Dutch fans will probably keep on coming. They haven't mm-hmm. had a dog in the fight for such a long, well, ever really, essentially, and now they suddenly have. It's like it was like Fernando Alonso and Spain, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. And now it's Spain, like it's Spain now, you know, it's kind of thriving. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, they're they're regularly producing Formula One drivers now, or it seems at least vaguely regularly. Not um, just that as well. You know, there's other motorsports as well that do well in Spain. Yeah, it's pretty pretty good there at the moment. So yeah, I. <laughs> I think we've said everything that really needs to be said about Max. I I just hope that he he takes it on board. You know, guys like Kimi Raikkonen aren't saying what they're saying for, you know, the good of the health. I don't think Kimi Raikkonen ever says anything just to say it. You know, he, every single word that comes out of his mouth is uh, he never is, repeats it, does he? That no, that's I, the thing. Usually, you'll get annoyed in the race, but then when you ask him about it in the in the paddock. He'll go, no, but yeah, it was a thing, and I don't really care about that, and we'll just look forward to the next race. Is usually what he says when it's like heat of the moment, and then he, you know, on reflection, he doesn't. But he repeated it again in the press conference, and then when people said, you know, are you going to speak to Max? He just walked off, and I think <laughs> that that's telling because although Kimmy is <laughs> more than more than capable of just wandering away from a paddock interview whilst still being asked questions, <laughs> um, I, I think it kind of showed how much that had irked him. Um, yeah. And I, I think it takes actually quite a lot to really get under his skin. Absolutely. Elsewhere then. Uh, Down the field. F1, 12th and 13th. I think that that is the, the position of Haas F1 and probably be, will, will be until the end of the season. Yeah, um, can't argue with that. They uh, looked like they might have been able to fluke a point or two under the, the varying chaos that was going on. But they on, actually but... benefited, didn't they, very much from the red flag. They yep. jumped right up. And so did Palmer as well. Um, and it, I think it was kind of telling that all three of them 
just fell back and back and back and back and didn't uh, go forward. And now I know (laughs) the cars coming through were Ferraris and Red Bulls to some extent. So, you know, uh, it had those three cars been out, then maybe we're looking at, you know, Gutierrez in 10th and Grosjean in 11th or something like that, or maybe 9th and 10th. But ultimately, I agree though. It's it's their that's their sort of level, isn't it? At it's, the moment, it's not the team that was coming sixth place in the first two races, was it? And Gutierrez no. is ahead of Grosjean again. Let's Interesting just that, yeah. Seems to it's, have it's improving slowly, isn't it? Yeah. So unless they're <laughs> unless he's getting all the preferential treatment, he's rather stepped up his game from being soundly outclassed by Grosjean. Or I think the the points tally at the end of the season will rather tell um, against him. You know, I've said it a couple of times, but next season will be the acid test, the tricky second season for a new team. They've had the good, a good, as good an opening season as they could possibly imagine, and next season how they develop a car and how they, you know things like how they how they go from one season to another over a full winter as a as a bona fide F one team, things like that. We'll, we'll we'll see how they do. Kvyat fourteenth for the. Um, the Toro Rosso team. Yes. <laughs> Started at the back alongside Fernando and Lewis, to be fair. So he was always going to be struggling from there. Uh, I don't really remember an awful lot about his race other than the fact that uh, he finished 14th. And that, according to the people that matter at Red Bull, they still intend to keep him next season. But, well, we'll guess we'll see on that one. Yeah. Um they they seem to suggest that the intention was that they would rather keep Kvyat in the car. Um, of course, I think a lot depends on what happens to um, Pierre Gasly in GP2. Um, if he doesn't win it, he might have another season there. Yeah. Um, and if he wins, I, I think they'll have to probably promote him. They might get away with giving Gasly one season in and around as reserved maybe of Red Bull. Yep. Or something yeah, like possibly. that, so that they can get him in the car, get him, get him driving, or reserve it to Toro Rosso, give him weekends and stuff, um, and then still keep Kvyat and see whether they can get him to bounce back or not. But um, ultimately, the problem that Red Bull have got is the is essentially the long term problem that that McLaren have now is when you've got drivers on the radar ready to come through and I have to say that I am not massively convinced that Gasly is the next Sebastian Vettel or Daniel Ricciardo or Max Verstappen or necessarily even the next Carlos Sainz um, on you know on the Spaniards relative merits um, you've got to move them somewhere or you've got to give them up and the problem is, is that they've already lacking space for Carlos Sainz unless somebody can tempt Max or Daniel away from from their team um so Carlos Sainz is, is is stuck at Red Bull until something else happens, which yeah. then only leaves one seat free. And if you have to move somebody on, well then, Danny Kiat has got to go. They've they've rolled the dice with him. It hasn't worked out, and now they've got somebody new that they haven't even given a dice roll to. So, what do you do? You could say, well, maybe we think Kiat's better than Gasly. Uh, so we'll keep him in the car and we'll just see how it goes. And if we lose Gasly, we lose Gasly. It's not like we haven't lost, you know, other drivers before. We haven't, you know, haven't turned up anywhere else on the Formula One uh, rung to, to worry us. Um, 
but then they don't know. You know, they've invested all of this, all of this money and time in Gasly, and then not to even give him a chance is seems fairly unlikely to me. Um, so what what are you going to do, really? I, I, I guess I guess they will just have to wait and see how GP two works it out. Sorokin seems to be on a bit of a charge, regardless, so it it, it might work out well enough for them to uh, to be able to keep him in GP two. So after after Kvyat, we had Palmer. Palmer. Ooh. In the other Renault, which uh, Sorry. Didn't, didn't get written off. <laughs> I think he might possibly have preferred it if he had. Um, <laughs> the only people... He was the last man on the lead lap. So the only people that he finished ahead of were Ocon, who was lapped in the manor. In his first and, in his first ever Formula One race. And Fred Nazar in that sauber. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 15, 16, 17 was the last of the, the classifications before the, the retirees. So we had Palmer in 15th on the lead lap, Ocon and Fred Nazar lapped. And then it was the guys that didn't make it to the end. So not particularly, ugh, nothing to write home about for Julian Palmer, really. Not What, what, what can you say there? No, and they, they had a reasonable qualifying as well. So I, I think it's double disappointment from... Yeah, that's right. Actually, that was what I remember saying. Oh, both the Renaults have qualified quite well there. I remember, you know, pointing that out. So hmm. it, it was primed for Palmer to get maybe a like a twelfth or a thirteenth and really go. Look, guys, you know, don't don't write me off yet. Um, and as it was, you know, he got up to ninth. I think the heady heights of ninth at one point. Uh, and his race was then just essentially watching other cars pass him as he went down. And you have some sympathy for him he's in a 2016 Renault which this year is not the car that you want to be in to show off your talents but I think you've got to do unless something happened to him that I uh, that we missed he's ended up what six seconds behind Kvyat in the Toro Rosso yep which as we've already said is using last year's last year's engines so the engine isn't getting any better the Renault engine is quite clearly getting a lot better as the Red Bull proves um, yep true uh, and even if that Renault is a dog, if you if you're still qualifying it well, then you surely you'd be hoping to take on Toro Rosso uh, uh, and not be that far behind them on the on the final lap. So it's not good news, um, I think for for Jolian. But he's still got more than more than half the season to sort himself out and. Uh, put in the races that, that change everybody's minds so let's hope he does that uh, Ocon uh, in the manor uh, I didn't see a lot of him to be no. fair but he's I'll tell you what okay. though <laughs> i tell you what though given his qualifying pace to Verline, um I feel we've all been rather harsh on Rio Harianto um, who we all rather wrote off I think Pascal Verline's probably just pretty good <laughs> well no but the whole point is is that um, Rio in in quali was was uh, equal to verify well Verline on on lots of occasions and during yeah. the, the race as well he wasn't soundly trumped by Verline but the difference in qualifying and uh, you know how it 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 looked like it was going through everything else Ocon wasn't anywhere near do you know what I mean and Harry Anto was from the from the start of the season now oh, okay we'll give give Ocon more than one one yep. race to prove himself but. It's kind of interesting that we all went, oh, Rio Haranto, he's just a pay driver. 
now he can't pay. He's not out of the car. Well, we don't feel too sorry for him because, you know, pay drivers aren't the thing that anybody is, is all that <laughs> pleased about. But I now start to feel a little sorry for him that he's been replaced by somebody who, at the moment, might well not be um, a better replacement at all <laughs> and possibly brings in less money. You never know. Time will tell on, on Ocon. Uh, we'll give him more than one race, like you said. But, yeah... I don't know. <laughs> He's in the manner. It's hard for it's hard to get too excited. Um, I think Verlaine is probably pretty good. So yeah, you might be right. Harrianto did did match Verlaine, so we might you might be right there. Uh, Naza last. Anything to say on Fred Naza? No. <laughs> um, the D- they are becoming so much of a joke. It's <laughs> untrue. Uh, has Ericsson started like the last three races from the pits as well or something ridiculous I have no idea I'm, I'm sure he didn't start from the grid at least the last race and I think maybe the one before that so <laughs> um, Marcus Ericsson's backers must be really really wondering what the hell they've actually bought no, he never finished he, he got retired on lap three yeah uh, the DNFs K-Mag who obviously wrote his car off Carlos who had the big tyre blowout Button and Verline who tangled on lap one, and Marcus Ericsson who retired on lap three, and I'm not quite sure why. Any ideas? Lack of motivation, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Loss of will to live. <laughs> um, e- equal, just... Equally as likely as the sober breaking. <laughs> so... Died of boredom behind the wheel. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm assuming it was a tech problem because I didn't see him shunt. So, yeah. Yeah. That must have been a tech problem. I'm not sure. No, I Either way. The cyber didn't finish. Not that anybody. <laughs> so only, only meant that he had he only had three laps of pain compared to uh, the well, forty odd endured by by Naza. Not that anybody would have noticed if he did finish, but that was it. That was the top. Uh, that was the Spa finishing classification out of ten. Uh, I think it, that was probably a solid eight or a nine. I think it was. It was really enjoyable. Uh, the red car. Uh, the red car. Red flag. I like the red car. (laughs) (laughs) That damn red car. Um, The red flag probably, probably robbed us of a a true classic, interesting race. Yeah. Throughout the whole thing, because we we missed the duels between Red Bull and Ferrari, and then when Hamilton would have joined that, um, would it have stopped Hamilton getting third? Maybe, maybe they'd have done something different with his tire strategy. Maybe it actually it, it would have Who worked knows, better yeah. for him. You, you, you can't tell. As it is, would have been a completely different race because they wouldn't have changed under the red flag. Strategies would have been up in the air. So, I think they, I know. think if the Ferraris were ahead on track, they'd have put Hamilton on the mediums instead of the softs, uh, and gotten him to go longer whilst everybody else was on the softs. Which ironically, Possibly. I think would have worked better better for him. Um, Possibly. We'll never know, but I agree it's uh, an 8 out of 10. Happy to give it that rating. It was a good one. It was a very enjoyable race, particularly the first half. Slightly quiet in the second half, but still a good a good race. And I'm very excited for Monza, another of my favourite racetracks. Fingers crossed we get another good one. Yeah, I'm I'm also looking forward to this one. Um, even with my Just... McLaren hat is a little bit... <laughs> that's raised the bit in anticipation. It's a bit so. twitchy, surely, at those big long straights. Yeah, you know? the straights aren't, aren't great, but nice <laughs> long corners, potential fast corners, and and stuff, and bits of yeah, you know, 
might not might not might not be as as bad as I, I once feared. Uh, those two races were going to be for us. Those were the races I was thinking. You know, forget about who I, I want. You know, my team. Just watch the race and see what happens. But now I'm now I've got a little bit of confidence, and it's not going to be quite as dismal as I uh, as I kind of thought it would be for me. Touching wood that um that the red cars do well at their home Grand Prix showed a little bit of pace in quali before they destroyed each other's races at the start. Of, uh, <laughs> I think turn one. Should, so I think the Ferrari should be better at this race. I, uh, I, I think Monza I'm, will suit I'm them quietly, quietly hopeful. Quietly hopeful. We'll see. Still, I think it will ultimately come down to the Mercedes battle between the two. I think I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm, I'm thinking Ferrari might be quicker than Red Bull here. Red Bull definitely have upped their game this season, particularly with that engine. That Renault engine is definitely improving. There's no question about that. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm not confident, but I'll go ahead and say I'm hopeful that the Ferraris will be ahead of the Red Bulls. Up top should be a shootout between, uh, between the two Merck boys, I think, for the win ultimately. Hopefully Nico uses this momentum from getting this victory here. Gets him back on the straight and narrow after he had his little mid-season slump there uh, before the break. So hopefully he's definitely a confidence-type driver, Nico. And if he can use the confidence gained here, even though he never had to directly battle Hamilton on the track, even just hopefully getting his head in front, getting that victory, getting on the top step of the podium, can can get his head straight and he can put in another good showing. Because uh, I think he really uh, he needs to... I'd say he needs to win Monza. If Lewis comes back from with the new engines and just takes Monza like he was doing before the break, that 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 will probably, you know, Nico's head might drop again, and that could just be the 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 sealed deal, so to speak, for for Lewis's championship. So, uh, hoping for a big one from Nico this weekend. Something that has just popped up, and I'm going to say it now, just in case it turns out to be true, and we can be first on the news. Rumours are starting to circulate that the deal for Van Dorn to replace Button at McLaren has been done. Not overly surprised, but uh, yeah, I hope so. I hope that's the case. I really, really do, because I'm dying to see Van Dorn get a whole season. So yeah, shame on JB, he's been an absolute servant, but it's time is right, I think, to stick Van Dorn in that car. Time is right. Uh, I... Uh... I am loath to say it, but I think if if I had to make the decision, that's probably what I would do as well. Um, I think you have to. It's the um, <laughs> copyright of the last lap podcast, the Alonso Gambit. Uh, I think you've got to, uh, you know, as much as swapping to a new team is the is the the new black. Um, I, I think taking the chance on the new wonder driver just is the thing to do because. You get him in, you get him settled in the team. You you can keep him for a long time, so long as you know you give him the car to work with, um, and maybe, um, maybe when you look at it, if JB stays another season, that'll probably be good. Then he'll do well in the car, and it'll probably do well for McLaren, and it won't be bad. But then when he goes in twenty eighteen or even twenty nineteen, if he you know he sticks around that long. If Van Dorn has flown the coop in the way that Magnussen had to, then you've just lost out twice, you know, uh, of potentially great drivers. So I think at some point they have to bite that bullet and yeah. be the bad guys and say, 
we're really sorry. JB has been an amazing servant and has helped McLaren through some of his most difficult times as a racing team. Has never let his head go down um, and has been a real shining light and vision in the team. But we feel at this point we have to uh, invest in the you know a, a driver yep. we've put <laughs> time and money into, um, and his time his time has come. Uh, so if that does work out to be true, folks, maybe you heard it here first. But uh, sadly, if it is true, I think we're behind the decision. Yeah, I definitely am, and I think JB will probably pick up a seat. I see him going to Williams, to be perfectly honest. I've been saying for a while that I think Williams should put a young, full of energy, at Max Verstappen-esque driver in that car, someone who's hungry, who's going to, perhaps a bit raw, but a talent to be nurtured. However, I think they're going to do the complete opposite of that. <laughs> I think they will ultimately put JB in the car. Um I can't argue with that decision. I just would have liked to have seen someone maybe uh, a bit lower down the, the pecking order given a chance of stepping up. As it is, I think JB will go there, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that takes us nicely to the end of the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening, guys. Um, it's been a pleasure to be back and uh, reviewing the races for your entertainment, hopefully. Um, as always, you can find us. Our homepage on the interwebs is www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. Um, you can find us on Twitter at lastlappodcast. You can find us on Facebook and like our page there. Uh, just search for the Last Lap uh, Formula F1 podcast. We are downloadable from iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher, and also directly from the uh, websites, uh, which has its own RSS feed, so all your Android devices can use that as well as using uh, the TuneIn app, which is uh, Android available. Um, so there is no excuse for not keeping up for us when we manage to keep up the races, which is most of the time these days. Um, so uh, we are looking very much forward to the Italian Grand Prix in Monza. So won't you join us uh, next time out when we're reviewing the Italian Grand Prix uh, and all the other goings on in Formula One. Thank you very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys.